well, have you ever lost or misplaced something that was really, really valuable? Ever done that before? Ben and Jackie Belknap, they are die-hard University of Utah football fans. So much so that for an entire year, they put cash in an envelope in order to save up and buy season tickets. Well, one Sunday, that envelope went mysteriously missing. They couldn't find it anywhere. So as you can imagine, they began tearing up the home looking for it because you see that envelope contained over $1,000 in cash. Well, after hours and hours of looking for it, they finally found it. You know where it was? It was in the shredder, chopped up into a thousand tiny pieces. And you know who shredded it? Their two-year-old son, Leo. You see, the previous week, Leo had been helping his mom shred junk mail and documents. And apparently, Leo thought he was being helpful this time too. Can you imagine? In fact, moms, let me ask you, and you don't have to say it out loud, but moms, what would you do in that situation? How would you respond if that happened to you? You know what Jackie did? At first she cried. <laughs> but then she laughed and she said, quote, as devastated and as sick as we were, this was one of those moments where you just had to laugh. You know, I am really glad Genuinely, I am really glad that Jackie and her husband were able to laugh about her two-year-old shredding over $1,000 in cash. But you know, sometimes you can't laugh, can you? Sometimes in moments like those, stressful, searching for something of value. Sometimes in moments like those, your heart is so full of frustration and disappointment that all you can do is cry. Or yell. Or get angry. For many moms, this has been an incredibly hard year. For this past year has brought with it many disruptions, has it not? And as a result, uh, moms have been around their children much more than perhaps any other time in recent history, right? Now to be sure, there have been opportunities for fun and meaningful memories. However, there have also been more opportunities for anger, sadness, 
and bitterness, right? I think due to the disruptions that have been brought upon us this past year, it can be hard, and it has been hard, to find joy. And I wonder, to the moms specifically, but really to everyone in general, is that true of you this morning? Whether you are a mother or not, are you finding it hard in this season of life? Are you finding it hard to be joyful? Is bitterness taking root in your heart? Friend, what I'm asking is, do you crave joy? Well, if so, I'd invite you to please turn with me to John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, um, Greg Bennett, can I borrow your phone to advance the slides? Um, oh, you're having trouble? Okay, thank you very much. Well, you know, actually, let's see if we can do this. Let's see. If I can just... Okay, okay. Wait till I give you the go sign, okay? <laughs> okay. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Friend, this Mother's Day, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that clearly shows us how we can have all the joy we crave. You see, in the passage we're about to look at, Jesus' disciples and John the Baptist's disciples, they are baptizing people. And they're gathered at a location where there is plenty of water, plenty of room for two groups of disciples to be baptizing. However, John the Baptist's disciples began to notice something. You know what that is? They began to notice that everyone was leaving John the Baptist, get a load of this, to go over to Jesus. Earlier, John the Baptist, he was the one drawing the crowds. He was the one getting the attention, but not now. No, in John chapter 3, everyone is now going over to Jesus. And you know how this made the disciples of John the Baptist feel? Jealous. Envious. They were not happy. This, this was not a joy-filled moment for John the Baptist's disciples. No, please hear me. This was an unpleasant experience. So the disciples of John the Baptist, they go over to John and say, hey, buddy, look, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but everybody's leaving you to go over to this guy, this guy you've been telling others about, Jesus. So you know what John the Baptist does? John the Baptist takes this opportunity to teach his followers and us a brilliant insight concerning joy. Indeed, what John teaches his disciples in this passage is not only the foundational truth for experiencing lasting joy, but I'm going to argue this, it's also the remedy for how we overcome bitterness. So if you haven't already, turn with me to John chapter 3. Go ahead and hit the next slide. Thanks. John chapter 3. That's page 888 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. And I'd invite you to follow along with me 
as I read John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. You good there? Perfect, okay. Let's give it up for Greg for sitting here. So I'll, I'll give you the ghost saying on the next slide. Thanks so much, John. So we read this, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 3. This is after Jesus had an interaction with Nicodemus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went over into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Eon near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now let me just pause here for a moment. We don't know what this dispute was over, and as we're about to see, John takes the conversation in a completely different direction. So all we can do is speculate, but John's disciples are going to go to John and he takes this as an opportunity to share what I just mentioned. Because notice what happens, verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, referring to Jesus, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You, you, you yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John's testimony. He's saying, this joy of mine is now complete as I'm seeing everybody go to Jesus. And he says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Why, John? He tells us, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Amen, amen, this is God's word. One of my family's favorite comedians is Brian Regan. 
I don't know if you guys are familiar with Brian Regan, but in his, in his DVD entitled, I Walked on the Moon, Brian shares about a time when he was at a dinner party where some guy was talking plenty for everyone. Brian called this guy the me monster because throughout the entire party, he kept trying to one-up everyone else's story. You know, someone would share something, a meaningful experience, something rather impressive, and that guy would say, the me monster would say, that's nothing. And then he'd go on and say something even more extravagant or greater than what the previously guy did, which culminated with the me monster then in a roundabout way saying, look, look, you, me, you, me. See the difference, right? So Brian, he has this social fantasy where he is one of the 12 astronauts who walked on our moon. That way, he could always top anyone's story. Right? He's like, just let some me monster go, talking about all their great things that they've done. Let them go, go. Like a fish on a line. Let them go. And then he could just say, I walked on the moon. <laughs> well, during this bit, Brian actually pauses and makes a rather significant insight about the human condition. You know what he says during this comedic bit? Brian states how we all get a rise out of focusing on ourselves. It's like there's something about the human condition where we all get a rise. We get a joy out of focusing on ourselves. And you know what? He's right. Friend, there's a reason why there are me monsters at dinner parties, and if we're honest, why there are me monsters in our hearts as well. And that's because, please hear me, at the deepest level, we all believe that joy is found in getting our wants, wishes, and desires met. This is to say we believe at the deepest possible level that joy is found in making much of ourselves. However, according to the Bible, though, the exact opposite is true. Joy does not come from the advancement of ourselves, nor does joy come from getting our way. No, friend, ultimate joy comes from, please hear me, forgetting about ourselves in the celebration of something greater. And that is precisely the testimony of John the Baptist in our text this morning. You see, Faith, in this passage, in the passage I just read, John the Baptist teaches this foundational Christian truth. And that is this. Go ahead and advance the next slide for me, Greg. And that is, joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease. Joy is found. Joy comes into your life when Jesus increases and you decrease. This is the main point of our text this morning. Look closely again at what's happening here. As I mentioned, you have John the Baptist's disciples telling John, look man, 
Everyone's leaving you. Your ministry is fading into nothing. It's going into the shadows. Everyone is leaving you and forgetting about you to go over to this chap named Jesus. You are being forgotten, John. And what is John's response? Is he bummed? Is he depressed? Is he unhappy? No. Look at what John says there again at verse 29. Have your eyes fall there. What does he say? In light of what just happened, he says, now this joy of mine is now what? Complete. He is happy. And why is he happy? He's happy for this reason, Faith. Because he's forgotten himself and the celebration of something greater and that something greater is Jesus Christ. This is why John says, he must increase and I must decrease. And notice, to drive home this point, John uses the example of the best man at a wedding. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being the best man at a wedding or the maid of honor, but it's actually quite an incredible experience. I had the joy of being the best man at my brother Dave's wedding uh, almost 19 years ago. And I'll never forget the moment when I was the best man there. I'll never forget that moment when my now sister-in-law, Hannah, walked down the aisle towards my brother Dave. This was Dave and Hannah's moment. All the attention, all the attention was on them. And you know what? I was overcome with joy. I did not think in that moment, man, I wish everyone was smiling and looking at me for how sharp I looked this evening. <laughs> no, wasn't even on my mind. Why? Because something great was happening before me. And as I celebrated Dave and Hannah's wedding, I forgot about myself and I was overcome with joy. It was so freeing and satisfying to not think about myself, but to celebrate the great thing that was in front of us. Faith, how much more should it be with Christ? Ultimate joy does not come from the exaltation of ourselves but from forgetting of ourselves in the celebration of something greater. And here's the question, if you're listening to me, you're wondering, and we all need to ask, and that is, why is that? Because Aaron, I like exalting myself. Honestly, Aaron, I like getting attention. I like it when I increase. So why is this the case? Why does joy come when Jesus increases and we decrease? Well, this is precisely the question John the Baptist answers in the following verses. And I, and I know when we first read it, it maybe didn't stand out to you too much, but friend, please hear me. Oh, especially Christian moms, please hear me. I cannot overstate how important it is for you and I to listen carefully again to what John has to say in these verses. Friend, you want to overcome bitterness? 
you want to have joy in hard circumstances, you want to be free from the gloom of self-absorption, then please, family, learn from John the Baptist here and satisfy your heart in something greater than yourself. In this text, John gives three compelling reasons why joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease. And the first reason is this, and that is because Jesus holds the highest authority. Thanks so much. Perfect. Thanks, Red. Look again with me at verses 31 and 35. Okay, so this is just after John says, he must increase, I must decrease, and now it's as if John is anticipating the question, because then look at what he says about Jesus. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above a couple of things. Is that what it says? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And then verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things, all things, into his hand. Amen. Go ahead and hit the next slide. All right, who can tell me who this is? Actually, yeah, Elvis Presley, and some of you said it. Tell me, what was his nickname? The King. The King. Uh, Elvis, he used to frequent Little Thompson's Steakhouse in Tennessee. He was good friends with the owner who used to give him free food before Elvis became famous. Well, one night, when Elvis was at the height of his fame, the steakhouse held an Elvis Presley impersonator contest. Well, as Providence would have it, Elvis just happened to show up that night unnoticed by the large crowd. So he shows up unnoticed. So you know what Elvis did? He entered the contest. <laughs> when it was his turn to go up on stage, he sang the song, Love Me Tender. He came in third place. <laughs> now, there are lots of humorous aspects to the story. You can hit the next slide if you want. But I think what stands out the most from that story is that that crowd, the judges, they placed the king in third place. They didn't give him his rightful spot. Faith, in the text I just read, John makes it clear that we ought not do the same with the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Notice what John says about Jesus here. It's actually quite remarkable. Notice Jesus is not a God, nor is he one of multiple ways to connect to God. No, as John makes clear, Jesus is the one sent from heaven. He is above all, he has no rivals. 
Indeed, Jesus is the one whom God the Father has given all things. In one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise and glory of the Father. Amen? This is the clear, consistent teaching of Scripture. Indeed, this is the testimony of Jesus himself. Jesus is the Son of God sent from heaven who is above all things. And friend, this is precisely why joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease. You know why that is? Why is it that joy increases when Jesus increases in your life? It's because he is the most glorious, majestic being in the universe. Okay, imagine with me for a moment that you are all alone, cold and wet in a dark, dank forest. Okay, you're cold, you're wet, you're shivering. And as your teeth begin to chatter because you're so cold, you remember that you have a small Bic lighter in your pocket. So you look, you gather some wood. However, the wood is too soaked, it's too wet for you to start a fire. So you, as best as you can, you light the bick and you try to warm yourself with your teeth chattering with this small bick lighter. Okay? Well, as you're trying to warm yourself with this little bick lighter, suddenly your dark shadow emerges on the ground in front of you as a bright light shines behind you. You turn around, and what do you see? You see a roaring fire in a huge fire pit, 10 feet in circumference. You stand amazed at the height of the flames as they exceed some 20 feet. And if the sight of this roaring fire wasn't enough, as you come close to it, you're almost deaf by the sound of its roar. Tell me, will you get warmer drawing near the tiny little fire of your bick or from that roaring blaze? Which one? Friend, do you want to get warm with joy? Then draw near the fire of Christ's glory, not the tiny bick spark of your own life. The reason why we experience joy when Jesus increases is because he's the most glorious, majestic being there is. He is the most awesome, roaring fire in the universe. And friend, he alone is worthy of our complete devotion and worship. And faith, here's the question this passage presses upon our hearts, and that's this. Which fire are you drawing near to get warm with joy? The small, insignificant, big lighter of yourself? Or the glorious, roaring flame of Jesus Christ? To put it another way, 
is Jesus above all things in your life? Is Christ above all in your thoughts? Is he above all in your wants, wishes, and desires? Or maybe, perhaps like Elvis, have you placed him third? Christian, for Christ to increase and you decrease, this means you must place pleasing Jesus above yourself. In fact, you want to know if you've placed yourself above Jesus, if you've put the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in third place in your life? Want to know if you've increased yourself and decreased Jesus? You know how you can know that? By this. You get angry at God when he doesn't give you the kind of life you want. Faith is a sure sign that you are actively increasing yourself over God is that you believe God owes you the life you want. And when he doesn't give it to you, you become angry and bitter towards God and others. He doesn't give you the kind of boss you want. He doesn't give you the type of body you want. He doesn't give you the kind of obedient children you want. He doesn't give you the kind of spouse you want. You see, faith at its most fundamental level, foundational level, bitterness, please hear me, bitterness comes from a heart that is seeking to increase itself, yet it's prevented from doing so. Bitterness is directly related to how much I'm focused on myself. It's not simply that my kids keep sinning against me multiple times throughout the day. That's not the primary reason why I get bitter. No, it's that their sin costs me something. Their sin prevents me from doing what I want to do. This is why Christian parents struggle at times with bitterness. Their sin is a roadblock to me increasing me and what I want to do. Yet this passage is inviting us to stop placing ourselves above all things and instead place Christ first in every area of our lives. Is this to say it's inviting us to turn away from the little Bic lighter and instead make it our aim to please Jesus? Now, I just want to drill in here one more moment. And I want to tell you why this is so hard to do especially for you Christian moms this morning. You know why? Because everything around you today is saying that for you to have joy, you must increase. This is to say, for you to have joy on Mother's Day, everything needs to be about you. You must increase your worthiness, your sacrifices for the family, how much you love people. Today needs to be about you. Oh, woman, increase. Yet Christian mother, because I love you, 
I need to tell you that if you spend today focusing on yourself and how you can increase, you'll be left feeling empty. Indeed, you will feel cold and wet, like one trying to get warm from a Bic lighter. To all of us, joy is found when we get our eyes off of ourselves and focus them on the one great God and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? Christian, turn to the roaring fire of Christ's glory. The one who holds the highest authority, not the tiny bick of yourself. Second, I want to point out to you that joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease because secondly, Jesus declares God's word. Look at these middle verses, 32 through 34. He, Jesus, bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Remember, he came from heaven, from God. So he bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Meaning, the person who puts their faith and believes Christ's words testifies that God is true. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Several years ago, the BBC ran this story. Go ahead and hit the next slide for us, Greg. Elderly woman cuts web access to two countries. True story. According to the report, an elderly woman who was referred to as a grandma in the news article was scavenging for copper to sell as scrap when she accidentally sliced through an underground cable and cut off internet services to the whole country of Armenia and large parts of Georgia. Okay? For over five hours, the country's main internet providers were prevented from supplying their normal services. Now, let's just be honest. Fewer things are worse than losing internet access. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Right? This is why this made national news. Poor woman just trying to get some scraps, and she cuts off internet access for an entire country. We value the internet. Indeed, we value doing that. We value what it gives us access to. Faith, notice carefully what John says of Jesus here. Again, this is nothing short of remarkable. First, John tells us that because Jesus is sent from God, he speaks for God. In other words, Jesus' words are God's words. This is why John says that whoever receives the word of Jesus, they testify that God is true. Second, we see that Jesus has the spirit without measure. As we've been learning, as we've been working through 1 Samuel, in the Old Testament, prophets were given a measure of the Holy Spirit proportional to the immensity of their task. Jesus has the spirit without measure. In other words, Jesus is fully God. 
So you know what this means? It means that far greater than what the internet can provide, Jesus provides us with the very words of God, for he himself is God in flesh. Amen? So let's go back to this. So you know why joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease? Because Jesus speaks the very words of God to you in his word. Tell me, and I know this is going to be an illustration more towards the guys and the boys here, but just bear with me. Tell me, who would you rather trust to know how to operate a giant digger? A five-year-old boy who likes giant diggers or the engineer who designed and built it? Tell me, who? The engineer. Friend, who are you trusting to operate your life? Your own childish opinions or the one who created you, the one who speaks God's words, Jesus Christ? In fact, tell me, whose thoughts and opinions are increasing in your mind? Yours or God's? So you know what the application here is? It's this. Joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease. So fill your heart and mind with his words. You want to have Jesus increase in your life? Then decrease your opinions and carefully obey God's word. That is, stop being wise in your own eyes. And instead, submit to God's commands. Friend, then joy will come. Finally, learn that joy comes when Jesus increases and you decrease because, thanks Greg, Jesus grants eternal life. Look there at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So back to the story of the two-year-old boy, Leo, who shredded over $1,000. Okay, remember this? It actually has a happy ending. You see, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has an entire mutilated currency division which is devoted to redeeming burned rodent chewed or deteriorated money and get this it's a free service to the public think about that there is a service at no cost to you that can redeem your ruined money. Oh, if only there was something that could do that with our lives. And praise the Lord, there is. Friend, the good news of Scripture is that Jesus Christ 
came to earth to save sinful, self-absorbed people like you and me. Though we all have made a mess of our lives due to our sin, though he, we have shredded our lives with our self-centered thinking and actions, Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sin and, better than that bureau, to make us new. Notice carefully what John says here. For those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, it says that the wrath of God remains. The wrath of God remains on them. You know why it remains? Because, friend, as a sinful, fallen human being, you have never breathed a breath, not once in your life, where you were not under the just condemnation of God for your sin. Friend, God is holy, perfect, righteous, and just. And please hear me, there is coming a day, there is a coming judgment where you will stand before this glorious, roaring fire, an all-consuming fire, and you are going to have to give an account before the God of the universe, the one who is above all for every sinful thought, deed, and action. And the only hope you're going to have in that moment to escape the flames of hell for all eternity is not your own righteousness. It is not your church attendance. It is not that your parents are Christians. It is not that you had a good mom. The only way you are going to escape the rightful judgment you are owed in that moment is by you pleading the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And I would be remiss and it would be shame on me if I do not ask you right now, have you done that? Friend, you're not neutral with God right now. The wrath of God is on you, waiting to drop. Don't let another moment pass you by. The good news of the gospel is that God saw how you shredded your life with self-exaltation and self-vainglory. And he's seen you, how you're found wanting. You know it's not satisfying. You know it's not as good. You know it's a well, a dry well. Yet God in his kindness sent Jesus Christ to be shredded on the cross for you. He bore the full wrath owe you for your sin so that through faith and repentance in him, you can be forgiven and you can be made whole. What good news! Friend, let today be the day of salvation for you. Receive this gift of salvation by faith. Because for those of you who have done this, there's even better news. And you know what that is? In this passage, John the Baptist was the best man at the wedding. That was his role. Well, that's not our role. No, you know who we are? We're not the best man. We're the bride of Christ. 
And here's my final word to you moms this morning. So Christian mom this morning, consider just how awesome and worthy your heavenly groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, truly is. Fix your gaze on him today and every day after that. For when Jesus increases and you decrease, no matter how hard or difficult your circumstances might be, when you forget yourself in the celebration of something greater, like John the Baptist, you will be able to say, this joy of mine is now complete. Amen? May it be. Let's pray.